The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Hello, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. We have a great show planned for you today. Uh, my first guest will be Catherine Hostet, who is the director of the UART, the University Art Galleries. Uh, she actually is in charge of all the art that is on campus and was also recently featured on the new KMU production, Texas A&M Today, which is a TV show airing Mondays at 9 p.m. and Saturdays at 6 p.m. Uh, and Catherine was on this first episode that features all arts uh, at AM. So I encourage you guys to go and check it out. It'll be a great new production by KAMU. And you can learn a little bit more about Catherine that you won't hear from this interview. And for our second part of our show, we will have we will be revisiting my interview with Eric Perez, who is the owner of Perez Jewelers. Uh, and now for our art announcements, we have um, we have decided to extend our ticket giveaway to this week. So tomorrow we have Samara Joy coming and giving a concert. She is a wonderful jazz singer, um, just such a buttery voice. And um, I encourage everyone to try and make it if they can. But if you'd like to get some free tickets, we are... Um, giving away two pairs of tickets again. So two lucky people will receive two tickets. And I want to give a big congrats to last week's winners. Thank you so much for participating. And if you'd like to participate, you can you can um, today only. And you can visit the website tx.ag slash THOA giveaway. And that's THOA for the heart of art. So once again, it's tx.ag slash THOA giveaway. So make sure to go and put in your information so that you can uh, be one of those people that win these tickets. Um, once again, tx.ag slash THOA giveaway. All right, let's start the show. Today in the studio, we have a very special guest. She is the director of the UART. And if you don't know what that means, that is University Art Galleries. Uh, her name is Catherine Hastet. And she is also featured on the Texas A&M Today show that actually began airing this Monday, September 26th. Uh, so we have her here today. Hello, Catherine. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Awesome. I'm so excited for a conversation today. Um, I've had Liz Appleby here and uh, Jen Korolenko here. So um, I'm excited to finally have the director here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I wanted to ask first, uh, what does being the director of UART entail? Well, uh, our department oversees two galleries, the J. Wayne Stark Galleries and the Forsyth Galleries in the Memorial Student Center. We also uh, are in charge of maintaining all of the public art on campus, so all the statues around campus that you see. We are tasked by the university to maintain an inventory of all the art on campus. So basically, we are the art resource uh, for the campus. So anything that's art-related usually comes by my desk. 
All right, cool, awesome. <laughs> so you are in charge of uh, ex exposing the community to all the arts here at A&M, right? Yes. Awesome. And um, I mean, your interest in art is very evident. Uh, was this a passion that you had since you were a child or? Well, yes, my mother and my aunt were both painters, not professional painters, but uh, they loved it. and. Ever since I was a little girl, we were dragged to museums, and I fell in love with that and tried to dabble a little bit um, when I was in college, um, a little bit of painting and drawing, and really, really enjoyed that, and that stirred my interest in art history, and the rest is history. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and where where was this? Uh... I attended Franklin and Marshall College. This is in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then from there to the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, right. where I studied both art history and classical archaeology. Okay, and are you from Pennsylvania? No, I'm actually yeah. from New York, although yeah. my family is basically from Michigan, Michigan area. Okay, okay. And did um, growing up in New York impact your love for art at all? Well... When I, it's, it's interesting you should ask that question because whenever you say you're from New York, people assume New York City. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm not. It's a big state. Okay. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm it from the Figure Lakes area. So uh -huh. um, oh. not as many art museums in that region as you would find in New York City. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a Texan, so that's all I think about when I think New York. <laughs> like the big city in the arts. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Been there many times, but nope, never grew up there. All right, all right. Um, uh, so you went to Franklin and Marshall College mm -hmm. right in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And what did you study there? I studied art. Art, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, both and practical and the historical aspects. So. Okay, awesome. And what, what requirements does an art piece have to have in order to be shown here at Texas A&M? Well, I like to bring in exhibitions that I can tie into the curriculum in some manner as a way of encouraging the faculty to use the galleries as in a manner that maybe they hadn't thought of before. So we will bring in exhibitions at the Stark Galleries in particular, um, anything from the traditional fine arts to history, sociology, archaeology, anything that I think will get students interested. Because... Uh, we've done surveys of college classes that have come through, and I'll ask them, okay, those of you that have ever visited an art museum before, raise your hand. And it's only about 10%, mm -hmm. because lots of Aggies come from very small towns. They don't have access to that. And so that's what we're striving to do, is to expose students to the fine arts. Right. And I mean... Um, from what I've noticed from the exhibitions that you guys have at Stark and Forsyth, um, it is very much like the overlapping of different subjects. There's art and there's science and there's history. Like, And I love that you can combine all that with art. Well, that's as I said, that's what we try to do because it's so disheartening when I will hear a student walk by and say, well, I don't, you know, I'm not interested in that. I don't see how that benefits me. And I just want to grab them and drag them over and explain exactly why this does benefit you knowing because the arts... Um, it's been proven statistically that the arts uh, encourage uh, creativity in the mind and how you look at things in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly what engineering students need, what ag students need, business students need. It's it's all there for everyone. Yeah, they all need to think outside the box, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And how did you end up here in the Brazos Valley? Well, I came down here um, originally to study um, nautical archaeology. Okay. Um, but I had a history, a background of working in museums, and when a graduate assistantship opened up in the University Art Galleries Department, I got that job and worked my way up to become director. Awesome. All right. And um, I saw that you were also part of other organizations here in the Brazos Valley, such as the Brazos Valley Symphony, Voices for Children, and Brian Rotary Club. Um, 
do you think these positions have um, helped you in your current position as director of the UART? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I like to give back to my community, which is one of the major reasons why I was part of the fundraising um you know, past fundraising campaigns for the symphony and for Voices for Children. And Brian Rotary does a lot for our community. And so I wanted to join a group that was mostly non-A&M because you get kind of siloed here at A&M. I know lots of people at A&M, but maybe not so many out in the community. So I wanted to reach out to an organization that would allow me to meet business people and, and also give back. Right. That's great that it gave you kind of like a foundation for knowing people within the community mm-hmm. as well. Great. Um, why do you think it is important for members of the community to be exposed to the arts that are being available by Texas A&M? Well, um, we are the closest art museums for at least a 90-mile radius. Um, And so we really want to reach out, especially into underserved areas like Hearn or Calvert or the small towns that surround us and encourage them to come. We're free, which is a great benefit. I mean, you're not going to get that if you go to the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. Not at all. (laughs) So um, we're able to bring in just as high quality exhibits as you would get in the major cities, and we offer them for free. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So make sure you go and take advantage of these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to ask you something a little bit more personal. Uh, what pieces have inspired you the most? Oh, gosh. Um, I've been doing this for 36 years now. That's a tough question to answer. Yeah, I, bet. Um, I would say the ones that are most memorable for me, um, I really like the scope, outdoor sculpture Minos, which is located uh, between the Blocker Building and the Hell Booty Building on campus. It was the first public art commission that the university did um, in 1992. Um, one of the goals that I had coming here was to diversify what the public art was. Now, this campus is, of course, very traditional, very conservative, and there's a lot of figurative bronzes, which I laughingly call DWGs, dead white guys. <laughs> Um, And I wanted to kind of broaden the spectrum of what public art could be. And so this was the first non-figurative piece to be put on campus, and I thought that was inspirational. I I sat on a committee for many years um, that reviewed all new building projects for the campus. And one of my goals was to get them to think about art inside the building because it was always an afterthought. And they would call my office or my department and say, we need art. And I'm, I'm, I would reply, I am not the interior decorating office for this campus. Right. And so I really wanted them to think about setting aside some money in their building projects for public art and have had some success with that. I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to get more and more new buildings on campus to have public art pieces with them. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for bringing that to A&M. Um, Came, you actually just released a, a new show, and it, it aired this Monday, September 26th, called Texas A&M Today. And there you talk about wood carvings. Are those the ones found in the MSC? Absolutely, yes. Rodney Hill, Rodney and Sue Hill were commissioned. The first uh, six, I believe, were done for the sesquicentennial. I, I think that's correct, mm-hmm. um, depicting the various aspects of Texas A&M at that time. And then later on, there was a seventh one made that sort of brought it up to date, had student affairs and different things that were, um, but they're wonderful, wonderful wood carvings. And they take about two years to produce. Wow. Um, And he, Rodney and Sue 
devote a lot of effort into doing the research and creating the cartoon that then becomes sort of the map for how he's going to carve the pieces. Um, and for many years, um, since I work in the Memorial Student Center, I would walk by them every day. And we always had an issue because um, several of the panels had little mini revelies on them. And unfortunately, people would snap off the revelies. Oh, no. And then Rodney would make a new one and he'd uh, he adhere it to the plaque and then that one would go away. Um, so fortunately now they're behind glass so people can't do that anymore but they are one of the most popular things to visit when you visit the Memorial Student Center. Oh yeah, I mean seven tiles you said in I total? think there's seven, seven yeah. Tiles. And it took two years to complete completely? Two years from start to finish to do a panel, yes. For one panel? Only. Well, he was working on six at the same time, oh, okay, but okay. It's, yeah. it's, they do a lot of research. It really takes him about oh, almost a year just to do the research and figure out what should be included on these panels. And they are um, very intricately carved. The, the panels themselves are probably about four to five inches thick walnut, wow. mm -hmm. and they're about, oh, I don't know, six feet wide each one. And the carving is sometimes completely in the round, so the individual pieces, you could stick your finger behind them, oh, if you okay. understand what I'm, it's kind of hard to talk about that on the radio, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you for the visualization, though, <laughs> I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, that was a very fun, to, not fun, I shouldn't say, interesting to clean, because there's all the nooks and crannies and trying to get the dust off, and um, right. glad I don't have to do that very, very often. <laughs> How did you clean it, by the way? Oh, we used uh, Q-tips and um, makeup sponges with um, wood cleaning products. Right. It took a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And where can people see this? There, it's in the main floor of the Memorial Student Center, right across from the flag room. All right. Well, I encourage people to go and check it out. Mm -hmm. um, and I hear there's a, a new Reveille statue coming to campus. Yes, this is the latest public art project. Uh, we uh, always do a competitive process whenever we do public art. Mm -hmm. And so we did an, uh, an international call for artists to submit their um, examples of their work through images and their CV. And a jury met, narrowed it down to three artists that we thought might be good then ask them to come up with a concept, make a little maquette or model, and present that to the jury again. So the three artists presented. We narrowed it down to the one. Wow. And so um, it is actually at the foundry right now, being cast in bronze. And it's going to be something unique for this campus because part of the base of, it's basically, how to describe this? It's Reveille running. Standing on an arch of circles, and the circles represent the rising and setting of the sun. Oh. And it's called Forever Reveille because the rising and setting of the sun never stops. Mm -hmm. And it sort of mimics the aging of Reveille, who starts out as a young dog and then becomes old and retires, and then there's a new Reveille. Right. So it's Forever Reveille. Oh. And as part of the base of the sculpture, there's going to be embedded... Um, a tag that you can scan with your cell phone and it'll take you to a web page it'll give you more information about the history of Reveille. Awesome. So, yeah, hidden two birds with one stone, in educating people on Reveille and then also seeing something beautiful. Yes, and it was completely donor funded, which we appreciate. Um, they really wanted to have an image of the mascot. It's going to be placed over by the Reveille graves 
at Kyle Field mm-hmm. okay. because they were concerned that people would see the Reveille graves but not understand anything about Reveille, right. especially people that are not familiar for campus. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, that's great. <laughs> great news. Yeah. Um, we're also working on two other um, public art commission competitions. Yeah. One is for the ILSQ building, which is just being finished over across the railroad tracks. Um, um, if you know where the clock tower is, the bell tower, it's right across the railroad tracks from that. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a new building, and that's going to house both chemistry and architecture. And so it's a combination of arts and sciences in one building. So we get a lot of cross-disciplinary, hopefully, um, activity in that building. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. So we're going to have an outdoor piece there and an indoor piece. And then the ILCB, which when it was built was called the 21st Century Classroom Building. Mm. That one is also going to have uh, a piece, an outdoor piece on the uh, second floor patio area and with it will be a companion piece just inside the building on a wall Hmm. so those two will be by the single artist but they have to relate to one another okay so those are exciting i'm i can't wait to see what we get yeah that's so exciting and are are people still submitting their cover well we haven't actually started advertising for it yet okay um it'll be about a one-year process so artists still have the opportunity to put in their resumes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. Well, I encourage any artists to participate in this, yes, please. Just go to our website, uart.tamu.edu, and there'll be information there on how to submit. All right, great. And what else can people see in that website? Any? Well, if you're interested in the public art on campus, we have a page that uh, covers all the outdoor sculptures. Um, gives little snippets of information about them and where they're located. A&M actually has a pretty good map through the university's um, marketing and communications um, put together a map that's interactive that you can just click on and it'll pull it up and show you exactly where it is. Um, And uh, we also have a searchable online database for the art collections, both in the Stark and the Forsyth galleries. So if you're curious about a particular artist, do we have that artist in our collection? You can search that online through our website. Great. And I can, I've also seen you have like 3D virtual tours, right? We do. We have a very talented marketing person, Molly Painter, and she has been working on interactive 3D tours. So for people that can't make it to campus, of course, it's always best to see the art in person. Definitely. But if you can't make it to campus, you can go on a virtual tour of the exhibitions. Not everyone is going to be as detailed because it takes time to put these together. Mm-hmm. But... Um, when we have a particularly important show, uh, Molly will spend more time and actually tie content directly to p- individual pieces that you can click on, and oh. it'll give you more content. Awesome. Yeah, so if people want to know mo- more about it, they can go into Sure. That. It Great. might be an audio or a video clip. Could be anything. Wow. That's even much more than what you'd expect <laughs> going to a museum. All right. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for stopping by and enlightening us on the arts here at A&M. We definitely appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, you guys, we will be going on a quick break, but do not go anywhere. We will be right back. (laughs) 
Support for KAMU is provided by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts, presenting once-in-a-generation jazz vocalist Samara Joy on Thursday, September 29th at 7 p.m. in Rudder Theater, co-sponsored by Friends of Chamber Music and the Brazos Valley Jazz Society. More information at academyarts.tamu.edu. Hello, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. Now we will be revisiting my interview with Eric Perez, who is owner of Perez Jewelers and a third-generation jeweler. And if you'd like to see his works, uh, you can go to perezjewelers.com so you can go and see what he has worked on uh, while we're having this discussion. So, hi, Eric. How are you today? Great. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Um, so I did want to ask, what was it like growing up in Miami? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, growing up in Miami was awesome. Um, you know, uh, loved the beach, obviously, uh, I was a beach kid right. and, uh, so, and then all the food, you know, I'm half Cuban and, uh, love Cuban food, Cuban coffee, you know, Ooh, all that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, Miami is awesome. I miss the beach. This is the farthest I've lived away from water of my, my whole life. So really it's different. Oh, that must've been tough. That changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask whether, you know, everything, you know, is from your, from your dad. Right. Yeah. And, um, was it something that you were moved to do to learn about jewelry making or was it something that you just kind of felt like you had to follow because your grandfather and your father did it as well? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, the short answer is probably no. Uh, as a kid, uh, I was not interested in jewelry at all. Really? Um, I would draw and, you know, mess with tools and I would do stuff. I would help out doing castings and uh, wax injections and, and just playing around with stuff. Um, and it wasn't until later on in life that I, I kind of fell in love with jewelry, uh, you know. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a slow thing that kind of came to happen. But I always I was always interested in drawing and colors and stuff like that. So it was kind of in me. Right. So I you guess. were creative already. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, then you went to go play football for Methodist University, right? And <laughs> yeah. you were also in the U.S. Marines for three deployments. So thank you for your service yeah, yeah, for thanks, that. Thanks. Yeah. Um, how did you go back to jewelry making? <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, so, like, kind of most service members, right? I got out of the, the, the Marine Corps and was like, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. At, at one point, I thought I was going to be a firefighter or something. And so I went uh, and was with, you know, stayed with my dad. And um, while I was trying to figure out life, I was working with him in his jewelry shop. And, and um, at that time, like, you know, I was kind of just there helping out. And I started learning more and doing more and kind of getting back into it. And I realized, I think being a veteran, there was something about being able to sit down and be calm and work on something and, and like create something that I really liked. Yeah. And then doing like repairs for people, like even polishing a ring or doing a ring sizing, see the joy that came out of somebody when you did that and you gave it to them right. really sparked something to me. I think of like just helping people out. And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of like what sparked it. And then wanting more education kind of, you know, led me to try to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you the only one from your family that carried the torch or are there other? No, I, I was the last one. Uh, no, I have I have uh, two older brothers that are jewelers in Florida. OK. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I got my uncles are jewelers. So I'm pretty much all the males in my family at some point have has done jewelry in their life and mm -hmm. a few of us are have stuck with it yeah right so it's definitely a family thing yeah oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. right 
Um, I wanted to ask, like, how much of the jewelry is you and how much of the jewelry is what the person requests? Sure, yeah. Uh, I would say it's probably, in my mind, it's 50-50. I don't, you know, uh, because I don't consider myself a designer. You know, some people might say, like, oh, you're a jewelry designer. It's like, I don't consider myself a designer. I'm kind of more of, like, you know, help you get what you want, right? Okay. You come to me, and I, I I tried. Usually when people are giving jewelry, they're celebrating something, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're celebrating an anniversary, or they're trying to get engaged, or, mm-hmm. or a birth of a child, or some big milestone. So it's always something big and very important in their life. Right. And I don't, I don't take that lightly. So I, I tried to talk about what are we doing? What story are we trying to tell? What are we celebrating? And how can and what what's your style and how do you want to wear it? And I kind of think about all of that and how can I put that into a piece of jewelry and give you what you want and not just say, I make this and this is what you're going to buy. You know, it's like I think that's for me, that's the wrong way of doing it. It's kind of like, let me listen to the people do what they want. And then but then also help guide them and say, because a lot of people, the first thing they say to me is, I don't know. I have no idea. You tell me, you know, and so I go, "Okay, well, let's talk. Mm -hmm. And I start asking questions to figure out the whys behind everything okay right yeah um i I love that your business has that focus on like that uh consumer experience you know Mm -hmm. that you're guiding them through that through that process um you also have an excerpt on your website that says i love listening to my clients why and (laughs) that's something Mm -hmm. you mentioned right now (laughs) i was wondering um how does that why influence the outcome of the jewelry like in what ways could it impact it I guess it just gives me motivation and allows me to kind of think about the piece and what's important to them and make sure I'm capturing what that is, you know, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times I just don't know. You know, you can just make a ring, right, and have the basics of what what makes a ring. But I try to think about them and their why and their, what's putting it behind them, and then that gives me all the little details that I need to pay attention to right. and, and kind of make sure I put into the piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um I guess I wanted to ask what would you what would you say is the definition of jewelry? How would you define? Oh, that? I I don't never been asked that question. I don't <laughs> know. Um, I I guess you know it's it's it is like it is art. Obviously, it's a little bit of everything: art, science, mm-hmm. engineering, um, right. alchemy. You know, like you know, magic. Yeah. All blended into yeah, one, right? All, right. And so, I would say jewelry is just a way of like or, ornating yourself, like being able to wear something. You know that's from the earth hmm. right gold and the diamonds and gemstones all the stuff is from the earth right. and being able to manipulate it into a wear a way that you can wear it that says something about you hmm. right either it's either your style right uh you know birthstones uh you know your love for somebody you know expressing love um you know just kind of way to express yourself in a way yeah i think yeah humans definitely use jewelry to communicate to each other as well you know, um, I feel like jewelry can be like the physical representation of like an idea or like a promise even. Mm-hmm, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but also how much someone values you, you can portray it through, you know, the jewelry that you give them. Right. Sure. By the meaning, not necessarily about like the value. You know, yeah. It's not like, oh, I got the biggest diamond. He must really no, love no, you. Yeah. It's kind of more of the thought that goes into it, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. What would you say your artistic process is like? Like once you get that why out of the way, what's next? Because I, I I know you have like a, a like a green plastic prototype that you use kind mm-hmm. of thing, mm-hmm. and I actually have one right here. I'm looking at it. <laughs> um, so what what are these for? What's what what do you do with these then? Yeah. So the, the design process, without getting too like deep into my 
thought process. But mm. basically, the way it goes, it starts with an idea of talking to the client, and then it could be like a rough, this quick sketch, um, and then eventually it turns into a more refined um, three view, uh, like kind of architectural drawing mm -hmm. um, of the, of the piece, and that will go to approval, you know, to the client. And sometimes we'll do different versions, we'll change things, we can, you know, do whatever. Um, but it allows us to get our ideas kind of on paper and kind of look at it and see, okay, how is this going to work? Because I have an idea in my mind, but let's get it on paper and make it visual. Then from there, it goes to computer-aided design. Um, so it gets built in the computer in CAD. Um, and so it allows you to see things in 3D. And then it allows you to keep designing it because you can see it on paper, but then once you kind of get it in 3D, things change, angles change. When a strip of diamonds you know, it goes up and it turns around and twists up towards the center stone. That may look one way on paper, but then when you get it in, in 3D, you realize that curve is off. It needs to get more steep or, or something. You know, it needs to twist more. Um, and so you build it, and then you're allowed to kind of play with it without doing anything in metal. And then you the green plastic thing you're talking about, uh, that's a 3D print. So then you could 3D print it um, in, in a resin, and um, then from there you take that and then you invest it and cast it into gold or platinum. All right, you guys, that is the end of our show. A big thank you to Catherine Hasted. And once again, if you missed that link to access that uh, giveaway of Samara Joy concert tickets, it is tx.ag slash THOA giveaway. Have a great week and make sure to tune in next week. I'm Hector Nino and you've been listening to The Heart of Art a production of 90.9 KAMU-FM. You can find all of our shows anytime at kamu.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts.